0: Okay, first portion of scripture I'd like us to look at in the insert within the handout in 2 Timothy verse, well, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I'm just gonna read the two verses. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. These are the words of the Apostle Paul to his young son in the faith, his protege, Timothy. Paul was his mentor. For God has not given us, Paul writes, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. Again, Paul wrote these words near the end of his life. It wasn't that he was dying of any illness, nor was he at a point in years that he would have died of old age. He was actually in a Roman prison, a cell, awaiting his termination. He was about to be executed. He knew that. He said that, I'm about ready to um, leave this world. My departure is at hand. Again, we talked about last week when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's present. It's right before us. He said, my departure is at hand. Uh, It's coming. And so these final words were written to his son, his... He wasn't his physical son, but spiritually speaking, Timothy was someone who Paul had trained and raised up to be a pastor. Timothy was a young pastor in a city that at that time would have been considered a world-class kind of city. It was a city of Ephesus. So you combine the fact that he was in this kind of, for his day, cosmopolitan environment, uh, Greek culture, Roman culture at their peak and apex combined with other factors that were going on. You know, Timothy was trying to lead a church that had been started by the Apostle Paul. It was filled with strong personalities. You read the two letters, you realize that he felt very overwhelmed and, honestly, a little bit intimidated by the prospect of having to do what he was being asked to do. He didn't ask for it. He was appointed. He stepped into that place. But it was scary, you know, and I found myself as I... In fact, and that's the context of these words. Paul is writing sometime probably in the in the fall or the autumn of 67 or the spring of 68. And we're talking about the original 67 and the original 68, Okay, This is like there was no other one before that. And so Paul's writing and he says, look, I, I I want to talk to you because I'm going to leave soon, basically. And I know that there's a part of you that is, even though I've, you can hear almost Paul saying, you're different than me. And that's okay, maybe better. But he says, you know what, um, I know you're a little bit intimidated by what you have to deal with, because Timothy was about probably in his mid-20s, maybe 30s. I found myself slipping back in time to when I first began this journey of pastoring myself here. You know, I was a youth pastor here, but it was at 25 years, it was 20-some years ago that I, I, that I started in the role that I'm still presently serving in. And I remember, you know, I found myself reflecting on how it felt at that time. I was trying to really engage this passage here, and I remember how f- really afraid I was, and how scary it was, and how hard it was. And you don't have life experience, and you don't, you haven't seen a whole lot of things. You know you're you're supposed to do something, but even how to do it and how to say it, it's not always easy. And you just it's just a scary place. And fear is very real. It's exciting, but it's also a fearful place. I think that's where Timothy was. I really do. And so when Paul says to him, Timothy, my, my son, I want you to, what does he say in verse six? I want you to stir up. The gift. Um, The word there, if you look in the original language, the word for stir up has to do with, part of that word implies living coals. It has to do with the idea of stirring the embers of a fire to create a flame that is strong. And Paul was saying, I want you to stir up this gift in you. This gift, by the way, he's almost like Paul is saying, remember, what God has put in you is enough. He's given you all you need to do this. Some of us find ourselves in situations where, honestly, we are a little bit afraid and we're not sure. And the Lord wants to remind us that if he's at work in our lives, that we have been given this opportunity not only to know him, but to have him work in our lives. He wants to fill us with power. He wants us to stir up that gift. And he says, remember, he says to Timothy, he says, remember, this gift that that is in you um, is something that the Lord is doing. And he says, not only that, I want you to also remind yourself that you did not call yourself. You, the hands were placed upon you. We prayed over you. We blessed you. We commissioned you. You did not choose to do this in your own choice. You were, you were given a call. The authority that he, Paul, said, I have been given by God. I, I put it on you. And so this is not, remember, this is not about your ability. It's about the fact that you didn't, you didn't make a case for yourself. The Lord moved you here, and we recognize that. So don't be afraid to step forward. And to, and to move into the place that God's called you to move into. Now, he went on to say, because why? Because, and again, it was almost like he's saying, because Timothy, remember, God has not given you uh, a spirit of fear. Think about that. He's not called you to be a fearful person. He's not called any of us to be fearful. The opposite of fear is what? It's, it's uh, courage. And, you know... Some fear is healthy fear because fear is an, is something we get adrenaline for a reason. You know, there's a survival mechanism in, in us. There, there is some things that we, we we should. There are some things that we should be afraid of, and that's that helps us to to sometimes deal with things. But there's an there's a kind of unhealthy fear, and that's what we're talking about here: the spirit of fear when we are sort of being defined by our fear, little by our fear, literally paralyzed by fear. Fear has a paralyzing effect. It is a way of just stopping us in our tracks and and it it stymies creativity. One of the things that God wants to teach us how to be, every one of us, is to be a better problem solver than we were before we knew him. God wants us to, to, to teach us how to grow in his wisdom, how to grow in our relational capacities, how to be increasingly whole and healthy people, that wherever we are, he has a desire to grow us grace upon grace. There's something about what God, because he cares not just about us, which he does, but of the people we touch and affect and influence. And ultimately, we cannot say, as we mentioned last week, how many people will be affected by our lives. And the small choices we make that ultimately have huge effects, especially on little ones who are being shaped and formed. I mean, all we need to do is think about our own selves and some of the things that we've experienced growing up and remind ourselves how important it is for people to be consistent, loving, to be trustworthy. Be blessing speakers over our lives, not perfect people, but whole people, good people who, who show us something of God's love. I mean, this is a huge thing when you have it, when we have this. Now, Paul says, I don't want you to be a person dominated by fear. Remember, do not allow fear to dominate you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what has He given us? Verse seven, a spirit of power and of love and of soundness of mind. Power, the word there in the original language, dunamaios, this idea, you think about dunamaios, dynamite, power. Resource, strength beyond our own capacity, love, which is a gentle virtue that undergirds everything we do, soundness of mind, which is not just like um, peace of mind, but it implies self mastery, self control. The implication there is instead of letting things shake us. You I mean, we talk about losing our mind, we talk about being paralyzed, we talk about um, you know having some type of uh, you know a lot of our issues occur in our thoughts. And a lot of our fears are imagined fears. We imagine things that may happen. We imagine what someone says. We think we know, but we don't always know. Well, this is what's going to happen. We empower things by, in our fear. And so much of our, our issue is here in our thought life. And so Paul says, you know, one of the things that God has called us to is soundness of mind. a kind of strength that is able to endure difficult situations and pressure without falling apart. And if you think about it, think about the relationship of those three, three concepts Love and power, love, soundness of mind. I mean, power without love can be destructive and reckless, right? Love without soundness of mind can be gullible, emotionally driven, and sometimes injurious, even though it's well-intended. And then soundness of mind without power is nothing more than a good intention. We need them all woven together. I want to, in the time that we have left talk about this idea of facing fear, and the decision we make to face fears. And so I found myself just jotting down a list in the uh, brief amount of time that we had on Friday. I said, you know, Lord, here's some things I can think of when I think about facing fears. And so this is not an exhaustive list. It's just some things that I've put down. Some of them may connect more directly with us, depending on where we are and what we're working through right now. And there might be others that come to your mind or come to our mind. But here's the thing. As we look at these different types of fear, Let's remember that God's wanting to develop a trust in us and a faith in us. And so one of the things that I I first think we are all aware of is this fear that often keeps us from taking chances and risking things uh, for trying things or for doing things or pursuing things or for making goals. And it has to do with this thing that that we see here is the fear of failure. A lot of times, some of us won't even try because we're afraid we'll fail, so we won't even bother. Some Some of us may feel a lot like Timothy, that somehow we're inadequate for the task. And we struggle, and so we make excuses on why we can't do it. And yet we know in our heart God is asking us to do things, try things, get back up, try again, learn to grow. Sometimes our fear of failure is what keeps us from even stretching ourselves to points of growth. Because we're afraid we just can't do it. We don't have what it takes. I, I was thinking about another young man. This young man was a man from the Older Testament. He's destined to become one of the great prophets of Israel. If you read about, there's a whole book devoted to his, his teachings, his prophecies, his life, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a young priest. He had grown up in the household of a priest. He lived at a time when, it was when Israel had turned their back for the most part on God and was one of the lowest times in, the, in his nation's history. He was called by God to speak words, and yet he was told by the Lord that, by the way, when you speak these words, no one's going to listen to you but I want you to speak them anyway. And he wept for his people. He's often called the weeping prophet. There's the book of Lamentations, the sorrowful cries and prayers that um, are, is associated with Jeremiah Lamentations. He cared deeply. He was an emotional man. He's, he comes across out of the pages of Scripture as a man that is touched that the very things he's saying, he doesn't want to say them. And yet it's interesting to go back to the beginning, his first steps of moving forward with the, call that God had put in his life, and I'm hoping that it will kind of illustrate what we've been talking about here. Look with me at Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 10. It says, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow. And before you were even born, before you even came out of your mother's womb, I had already set you apart, sanctified you. And I ordained you, that is, I called you, and I called you to be a speaker for me, a prophet to the nations. This is your purpose. And then said I, oh, Lord God, behold, listen, I, ca- I cannot speak. Find somebody else. I'm only a youth. I'm just a young man. The idea was, and it's amazing, you know, not only is it amazing that, that God knew him, it says he knew him before he was even born, while he was in his mother's womb. It says that, that But when Jeremiah's initial reaction to what God is asking him to do is oftentimes what we do is we make excuses. And in our fear, we want to bury our talent. And Jeremiah said, Lord, you know, you got to find somebody else to do this. I'm I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm nobody. i got nothing to say. I I, I can't speak. I have no credibility. I have no experience. Find somebody else, Lord, not me. And it's like the Lord says back to him, he says, look, but the Lord said to me, I don't want you to use that excuse. Do not say, I am a youth. And and, and so you're, you're ineligible. No, for you shall go to all whom I send you. Listen to this. It's almost like he's saying, listen, Jeremiah, this is not about you. This is about me calling you. I ordained you. I saw you. I called you. I'm the one that's going to put the words in your mouth. This is not so much about you going as about me sending. So I understand your reluctance, but listen, do not be afraid. And look what he says here. But the Lord said to me, do not say that I'm a youth, for you shall go to whom all I send you. And whatever I command you, you will speak these things. And then verse 8, which was the crux of the matter. Do not be afraid of their faces. Do not be afraid of their faces. interesting phrase, the Bible uses it, faces. Do you know what faces is? It says, do not be afraid of what they think, how they respond to you, how you're treated. Look what it says here. It says, and the Lord put forth his hand in some way, whether this is symbolic or how it was done, or if he felt... that's left us to us to, to discern. It says, And the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. I think he felt it, something. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See this day, see this day, I have set over you the nations, set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull things up, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build things up and to plant things. I, I am with, that's the key. You say, I am a youth. I say, I am with you. And so the second thing here that we note is this idea of being afraid of what people will think. Because Jeremiah was afraid of their faith. They're not going to receive me. I don't have what it takes. They're going to say, who are you? And, and, and a lot of times this fear of what people think is what holds us back from moving forward with God. Because we're afraid. We're afraid Sometimes we're afraid to speak up. You know what? There's an interesting verse in Proverbs 29, verse 25. Solomon wrote these words. It says this, that the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever it is that trusts in the Lord shall be saved. Now, what is the fear of man? Fear of man, whenever you read it, whenever we read it, is the fear of what people think. It's the fear of others. The fear of of man, the scripture says, is like a snare. What is a snare? A snare is a trap. What is a trap? It's something that is disguised. It looks like something other than what it really is. And it's designed to it, trap us, to catch us. It's not what it seems. And the implication is that a lot of times we, when we conform to what we think people want to hear from us because we're afraid that if they really know what we believe or, or you know, if we speak up in this situation, it might cost us. And so because of the fear of male, we will, we will play it safe. And we think we are safe. By holding back, and the Bible says that is a false security, and it is not what God is going to bless. Because how many times do we pull back? And I'm not talking about in-your-face, arrogant, proud. Just you know, I'm not. I'm talking about there are moments in life where, a lot of times at the workplace, could be in a friendship that we have, where the Lord really wants us to speak up. He does. He wants us not to be ashamed. He doesn't want us to be afraid of what people will think, and, 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 and yet so many times we're worried that we, will be, we won't be accepted or we'll be punished or it might cost us, and so we pull back, we cower back, and the Bible says that's a snare. That We think we're safe, we think that's, but it's not, it's not true safety. True safety is found in the Lord. It's not, the Lord says don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of being rejected. That's what he's telling Jeremiah, that's what he tells us. It's a snare. It's, it's, it's something about this idea that I think for a lot of us, growth is going to look like learning how to not be disconnected when we leave these doors. It's one thing to sing, I love you, Lord, and mean it to differing degrees. And it's another thing to get out there and to, in very discreet but graceful ways, but nonetheless honest, real ways, speak up for, for the Lord, or at times even be willing to say, you know, I can't, I can't go along with this. I'm sorry. But that's going to You know, I think about Peter. You know, Peter, when he denies the Lord, it's interesting because... It wasn't because he was afraid. Literally, he could fight anybody. He was a fighter. He was, he was in the prime of his life. In fact, he had told the Lord, when they come for you, just remember, anybody who touches you is, touch, is messing with me, and I will, die, I will die with you. And I got a sword right here that they're going to have to go through. And when they came, and he wasn't just talking, because when they came, that sword came out. If you remember, and he swung, it wasn't like just for show. He swung his sword. And if Jesus didn't say, put the sword away, Peter would have died that day in that moment. But he would have taken a lot of people with him. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You put the sword away. Those who live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Don't mess up what God's doing now. Back off. But a few hours later, what happens to Peter? He's in the middle of an interrogation, so to speak. He's warming his hands by a fire. Someone says, it's a girl. A girl says to him, a little girl says to him, hey, aren't you one of those followers of the Nazarene? This Jesus. And, and Peter, by this time, his adrenaline is down. He becomes vulnerable to peer pressure. And this man who would fight and die for Jesus denies the Lord. And he says, no, no I don't know the man. I don't know the man. He, he's afraid of what people will think. And it, then the, one, another, and it falls. It snowballs like our, like our situations. Often when we blow it, we really blow it. We blew it once, go all the way. <laughs> And that's our humanness. What a merciful Lord we have. Because he had to pick himself up at the end of that falling, right? It's interesting. Grace upon grace, but a lot of times we fall upon fall. But my, my, The point was that Peter was afraid of what people thought. And so he backed off from Jesus. And so I think sometimes we are afraid. And for some of us, the Lord wants to teach us to be more courageous, more loyal of heart, more willing to take a risk on his behalf, more willing to be known as one of his. That's what, bat, you know, well, another fear that I was thinking about, I'm just going to list these more rapidly. One of them is, is it just as they came to me, I just wrote them down, fear of commitment. I think a lot of us don't want to get pinned down And so a lot of times we prefer to keep our options open, and so (laughs) we don't commit. And that's one of the reasons I always talk about why baptism is important. I don't always talk about it. I talk about it once in a while, why baptism is important. (laughs) Because there's something about saying, you know, I believe, but I want people, I want to make a confession of that faith. I want to do what Jesus asks. I want to be baptized. I want to say I am his in a public way. In a community way. I, I, I want to commit myself. There's something about committing ourselves to things. It's healthy. And I know why a lot of us don't, because a lot of us is, have seen so many people break commitments that maybe part of us just doesn't want to do ever make them. Or maybe we feel that we do not have the capacity to keep it, so I don't want to let anybody down, so I'm not going to commit to it. Or maybe something better will come along, so why commit? But life can't be lived without commitment, not well. Everything we have that we build security around relationally depends on people keeping their commitments. We need that to survive. Some of us we have a fear of committing God wants to get at that. Some of us have a fear of confronting things. and I think what, what I mean by that is that there are times where we back off some of us are <laughs> some of us who are aggressive in nature, um, this is not our issue um, but if anything, growth for us is going to look like not flying off the handle and not being offended so quickly and not letting our pride. What did you say? You know, you looking at me? You know? <laughs> Someone cuts us. The, the, the car. Why is always the car? You know, it's like. <laughs> some of us are, are, are very aggressive. God wants to tone that down. He wants us to be slow to anger, quick to hear so to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. It, it, It rarely produces positive fruit in our lives. No, you know, God wants us to be characterized by good works for the most part. Be slow to anger. Okay, I get that. But I'm talking about those of us who tend to be more passive and reluctant to deal with things. We'd rather pretend it doesn't exist. It's not an issue because I'm not acknowledging it as one, but it really is one. And we need to talk. And part of being bold for the Lord is going to be honestly dealing with it and not being afraid to talk about it or to confront it. Because confrontation may at times, and again, it may lead to a conflict. And a lot of us want to avoid conflict at all costs because we just want to have peace. But, but some peace is not a good peace. It's a bad peace. It's a, it's a blind peace. It's a, it's a peace that's dysfunctional. It's not dealing with things that are real problems. And so we can't get better because we can't even agree that we have a problem. So part of growing in the Lord is not, is not being afraid to, to say, look, we, uh, this is going to be awkward for me. And you know what? I realize this. I realize that for some of us, it's almost heroic to step out and by the grace of God say, I need to talk about this. It's almost heroic. It, it, it requires such amount of strength and courage in the Lord to not pretend but God wants to get us past our fears, the fear of confrontation. There's a fear uh, that I, another fear that I was thinking about was the fear of, of being hurt again, which is one of the reasons why a lot of the times we won't even try because we're afraid that if we're vulnerable with our feelings, we will be rejected. And any of us who've had trust injuries from people who should have loved us better, more loyally, should have been less selfish. We should have, bottom line. I get it, I get it all, but you should have you loved better. And you hurt me. You hurt me. Really hurt me. See, and this, some of us carry this from our childhood days. And that affects our ability because we're afraid we're going to get hurt again, our ability to enter into things with honesty. And when, we, when we're vulnerable and our vulnerability gets taken advantage of and we're intimate and our intimacy is, is disregarded, but see, we, unless we're vulnerable, we can't really have intimacy. We can't have intimacy if we don't have intimacy. We'll never really have depth in our relationship with people. So we have to know how to do this in God. And we there, it, there it, without risk and vulnerability, love is shallow. It, it's barely love at all. It, it to be real, it's it's got to be open to. Be, <laughs> there's when you're one of the reasons I thank the Lord for being a parent is that. I know a different kind of love. And I know not everybody is necessarily going to have that in their lives, but many of us will and have had. Or we have people who we care deeply about. When we invest ourselves in people, we run the risk of being hurt. You understand what I'm saying? That's the trade-off. But the upside is oh, the blessing and the depth and the richness of love and real caring, what God made us to be, because God is love. Love. Then I was thinking about a couple other things. I was thinking about some of us, how some of us right now, and this is a slight shift, but just stay with me on it, some of us have, right now have the fear of being overwhelmed in our difficult place and our adversity. And the reason I bring that up is I know a lot of, some, there are some of us here who we, we've, I've, I've heard enough stories of our people, and I mean people have been sharing their experiences. You know, Some of us, we're, we're probably pretty blessed here in the Bay Area, but nonetheless, there are some who are out of work and some who've been, been um, sort of concerned about what's going to happen to me, or some of us are dealing with health issues, some of us... It's, it's not financial, but it's, it's health-related. The fact of the matter is there are times in life where we do feel like we're in the middle of a, of a serious, uh, difficult place, and we wonder, we're afraid we're not going to get out of it. And in that place, it's sometimes hard to have faith. It's hard to trust God because we're afraid that, that you know it's just not going to work out. And I found that sometimes the places where things have looked the bleakest and some problems can make... Us seem uh, very afraid and some situations look very dire and I'm not suggesting they're not a problem when there really is a problem but I, I am going to say though that the Lord really does have things to say to us in these difficult places of our lives and I found that it's in the places of change that I wasn't planning on and difficulty that I did not welcome that there are so many things to learn and God wants to grow. In fact, a lot of times it's in our adversity that we learn to trust God in deeper ways, that we actually begin to apply the principles of God. We dig into God's scripture. We begin to pray with more sincerity. We begin to talk to others with a greater degree of vulnerability. Sometimes desperation has a blessing that, um, bl- that the blessing times of life can never bring. I think the real lessons of life, as we say, are learned in the wilderness, And real growth can take place because in the wilderness, you can hear anything. But in the city, there are so many sounds. And there's something about the wilderness places of life that allow us to hear God. And one of the things we will hear the Lord say to us is, do not be afraid. Learn to trust me. Some of us, and I'll just carry it one step further, some of us are afraid of our future. We see ominous clouds on the horizon. It's like in the Sierras sometimes. You can see in the distance, there's a storm coming, and it looks like it's coming our way. And in those places where things look bad, and they look bleak, and they don't look promising, it's in those places where the Lord wants to, to teach us how to draw near to him, to trust him with our tomorrows, to not allow fear to paralyze us. Look, the Lord says, don't be afraid. Look, he says, look, people can t- people, there's nothing you cannot lose but if you have me. At the end of the day, we can lose. We get that. But what he's saying is that at the end of the day, I I want to be to you the best thing you could ever have. The last portion of Scripture I'll leave us with, which I think sort of connects to this, is the portion that's found in Mark 4. And in Mark 4, here we go back to this whole idea of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. And I just want to leave us with this because I found that in, in, in this in this example that we've been given, we're being given here that we look at, that Jesus, look, look what happens here. It says that as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. The lake there is the Sea of Galilee. We talked about that in weeks past. The sea of Galilee, the lake of Gennesaret. There, he says to them, let's go across to the other side. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although there were other boats that were following, the scripture says. But soon there was a fierce storm that came up. And and so fierce was it that high waves were breaking into the boat, breaking into the boat, and, and beginning to fill it with water. And Jesus, it says in verse 38, was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, a pillow, and it's like, you know, you gotta remember, and the disciples woke him up and they said, it, you, gotta, you gotta remember, the disciples, some of these disciples were fishermen. They were born and raised on the Sea of Galilee. They were not novices when it came to storms. They knew, they had been in them, they grew up around them. It's like us. If some of us grew up around stuff, we just know it. We're not afraid of it. Other people might be, but we're not. They were afraid. They go, This is not good. We can go down. Where is Jesus? He's sleeping. How is he sleeping in the middle of this storm? Go wake him up. In fact, they go to him, they say, don't master, teacher. What do you, wake up. We're about to drown. We're going down. We're going down. This is not good. And Jesus gets up, and in the Bible's matter-of-fact way, it says when Jesus woke up, he he woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped. And there was a great calm. And we know from the other portion of the scripture it says that they were all terrified. They weren't sure what they were more terrified by. And it was an eerie silence and they all looked at each other. And Jesus turned to them and he says, why did you wake me up? No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, he said to them something that I think is even more, more profound. <laughs> <laughs> but he says it to all of us in the middle of our storms. And we may be in one. But he says, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? If I am in this boat, it is not going down. And some of us need to remember the key is keeping him in the boat. That's the key. We make our plans. We do our things. We can get our policies. We can depend on this or that. Do not be afraid. Lord, I... I know that there are things in life that we face at times where we are afraid and we are tempted to, to be intimidated by them and it, it can feel like we are going down. We're going to drown. Don't you care? Where are you? Where are you showing up for us? And Lord, I think you remind us again, again, and again that, that part of what it is to grow with you is to not be afraid of things because we never, we never can move really in a creative fashion with, with fear dictating to us our responses and reactions. One of the things you wanna teach us is to use you as a trust base, is to walk with you, to acquaint ourselves with your will and your wisdom, to let your words fill our mouths. This day, this day, I have touched your lips. Lord, I pray that you would remind us to not be afraid of things. As the psalmist said, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Lord, let us not put our confidence in men but trust in the Lord. Let us not trust in the princes, but put our confidence in you. Lord, I pray that faith would rise up in us. You know the specific area of our life where we need faith. Faith and fear cannot compete at the same strength. One must rise above the other. I pray that faith would prevail in us, Lord, and that you would deliver us and teach us and grow us and do amazing things in our lives. And I pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would bless our closing time, the song that really does fit so much of what we've shared in our time of giving, where so many of us who have made a commitment to you give to you our first fruits, our tithes, our offerings. It's part of our life. It's part of our commitment. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.